You ready? Uh, yeah, as ready as I can be. Okay, cool. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Res. I'm Riley, and I'm here with my friend Daniel. Hi guys. And today we are going to talk to you and each other about a game called Inside. But before we do that, we actually have a piece of follow-up I'd like to address, Daniel. Uh-oh. Uh, and that is it, is it also my mic quality again? Uh, no, your mic quality is great. Oh, good, good. I'm glad I got that seal of approval from you. Yeah, it's Makes fine. me feel good. Nothing, nothing doing, pal. Um, this is actually a comment that we got on Reddit, on our subreddit, rescast.reddit.com, if anybody out there is listening. Uh, but we did get a piece of feedback on our very first episode, The Secret of Monkey Island. And it is by a commenter named Oligodendrocyte. And his what? comment, or her comment, uh, says, nice. <laughs> well, okay. is that it? It says nice. That's all it says. And this post has received the Platinum Award. Which costs eighteen hundred Reddit coins. I don't wait. It does. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So, I hope it was worth it. When I click on this "What are coins?" link, um, it costs six dollars to give us a platinum Dude. award. So we've contributed six dollars to the Reddit uh, livelihood. So, Reddit employees, all you got to do is leave really short comments on our episode threads on our subreddit, and somebody will give your company $6. There you go. That's all it takes. So, thank you to our, our first and only commenter so far. We also think you're pretty nice. Very nice. But yeah, that's... Do you have any other little bits of follow-up? I don't. Do you? No, no, it's today it's all about the games, man. All about the games. This this E3 presentation's all about the games, man. Oh man. When is not it? Not gonna talk about not gonna talk about TV, TV, TV. Yep. Sports, sports, sports. Sports, sports <laughs> Xbox, go home. <laughs> <laughs> no man. Today we're just gonna talk about uh inside inside yeah tell us a little bit about the background of inside without going too much into the specifics of the game inside is a side scroller adventure horror game from a game studio called play dead if anybody else out there uh has heard that name before they're the same guys who made limbo back in 2010 uh, another kind of classic side-scroller adventure horror game. The player controls a boy in a red shirt as he makes his way through a dystopian industrial hellscape in search of something. You're not really sure what at the very beginning. Um, and that's pretty much it. You're like leading this little boy as he like jumps and, and drags things and climbs up things um, just to see what the story's going to tell you. It was originally released in 2016 on Xbox One, and then later for PC, PlayStation 4, Switch, and iOS. 
It's uh, got a, a hefty amount of awards to its name, which is pretty cool. Um, more, most importantly, the Best Art Direction and Best Independent Game at the Game Awards, which I think we care about. We care about the Game Awards, right? I think, I think the Game Awards are becoming more and more of a thing. Have they added it to the to the um, EGOT yet? Yeah, it's now it's EGOT. Just two G's. <laughs> EGOT. EGOT. <laughs> or maybe it's a f- more phlegmy, like a EGOT. <laughs> um, standout features is that it's uh, it's a kind of beautiful art style, beautiful. Um, uh, st- kind of soundtrack kind of um ambience that goes along with it the game has no dialogue so it's just entirely your actions um that play out on the screen and it leaves the players kind of interpreting what exactly is happening in the game and what the game is trying to say um which we'll talk about in the spoiler section a little bit i feel like Um, yep that but that's pretty much what insight is um without saying really too much else that might give away what happens. Is this uh, the first time you played this game? I had actually already played it not too long after it came out. Okay. Did you play Limbo? So, I did not play Limbo. And I I think I tried a couple times, or maybe just one time, and then I just got distracted or something. Mm-hmm. But I think I do want to go and play Limbo. Because Limbo is like... It's a classic, classic game at this point. Had you, had you played Limbo? I have played Limbo, but it didn't really like stick out in my mind too much. Because it was also... Like this game, pretty short. I think it was shorter than <laughs> this game, actually. Yeah. Um, so I think I like played it and just kind of forgot most of the things about it it's also like has no dialogue it's got an even like thinner plot structure than this one had um yeah like lower on detail it was basically just like a much less refined version of the same game i think some people um in some articles that i was reading about this to prepare were saying that um inside is kind of like super limbo yeah in the nomenclature of uh nintendo games where mm. you had mario and then you had super mario mm. which is a refinement of the original right. and they don't necessarily do the same things kind of tell the same but different story mm-hmm. which mario can get away with obviously yeah because it's mario but i could definitely see that like it's just the same idea but expanded out to be a bit mm-hmm. bigger a bit more refined encompass yeah more surface area so it was the first time i played it as well yeah yeah based on how how i described it real simply side scroller action or excuse me side scroller adventure horror game yep even just based on that i am curious is knowing me Mm -hmm. is this a game that i would play i was um Whenever you suggested it, I was a little surprised. Yeah. Not because of, like, the the horror aspect, but mostly because it's, like, not antithetical to most of the kinds of games you play, but it's a little different. And 
but here's why I wasn't so surprised because mm-hmm. you've been getting more and more into I think like this sort of indie scene. I think the yeah. big game that like links you to this is Ori and the Blind Forest. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, like so, whenever I saw you that you picked this, I thought, okay, like I can see how this branch of the tree is growing a little bit, which is kind of exciting because that makes me think maybe if you responded positively to this one, there's some other weird ones that this could branch you off into. Yeah, it's it's not a uh, Halo Call of Duty, Halo Call of Duty Gears, Civ, Stellaris, Civ. Civ. <laughs> <laughs> not there's anything wrong with those games. Yeah, yeah. It's just um you're I think you're probably right. I do tend to have a a um pretty similar taste in video games. And I think listeners of the show will also at some point get tired of sci-fi things. Mm-hmm. Um so even in that dimension I I which this is kind of sci-fi, which we'll get into yeah. later. Like there's well, elements of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I obviously um, I know you as a person who will jump at almost anything, which is why mm-hmm. you did this podcast in the first place. So, <laughs> I I was I was pretty secure in 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 knowing that you would at least go for this. It wasn't out of your comfort zone at all. Yeah, for sure. I was actually really excited that you suggested it, just because I hadn't played it when it first came out. Um, mm-hmm. and part of the reason for that is how critically acclaimed it was. Yeah. Like, I find, I don't know if you find this at all, but personally, that whenever a game starts to reach this point on the acclaim graph, that uh-huh. I actually become far less interested in it. <laughs> I've observed it. I've observed it. <laughs> yeah. Where, when have you observed it? Out of curiosity, <clears throat> is there like a specific game that you remember uh... me neglecting because of that? Halo 5. No. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Critically acclaimed. Critically acclaimed. Best game. Um, I think less with games, but some like movies and and mm. even even for listeners of the show, um, I, not to take away from the from the critiques you had with it, but the Expanse. I I don't know exactly how much of of that played into it because it literally has written on the back of the book. George R. R. Martin says this is. This is Game of Thrones in space. Right. Is there like a certain element of like, well, are you overselling it some? Almost. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's at least an example I think that even listeners of the podcast could could know. Okay. That's fair. And like it's not not because I don't want to be mainstream, but mostly because right. I don't want to be disappointed by what mainstream people are hyping up. You don't want the hype to lie to you. Right. I, I would like to approach the game on my terms. So, like, the fact that you suggested I was really excited about because I'd actually completely forgotten it existed, which is the right time nice. to approach it. Right. Completely blank slate. Yep. What did, what did you play it on? I played it on my Switch. Okay. Okay. Interesting yep. question about that then. How yeah. well does it run on the Switch? Uh, it runs great. I didn't have any Butter performance smooth. issues. Awesome. Yeah. Although, re- oh, I will ahead. say, uh, sometimes it was hard to see the elements of the puzzles. Like, So this game has different like 
little puzzles in it that you're supposed to solve. Yeah. Um, and for example, like one of the puzzle elements is a box that has a little handle sticking up out of the top of it, but yeah. it's pretty small. And the game itself is very, very dark, like visually. Yeah. So on a seven inch tablet screen, it's kind of hard to see yeah. that handle exists. So I was stumped on that for a little while um, and things like it. What resolution does the Switch output to TVs? Uh, it does HD to TVs. 1080? Yeah, 1080, not 4K. Okay. okay. But whenever you've got a handheld mode, I think it's it's a weird resolution, actually. I think it's like 900. Yeah, yeah. It's not quite as high. Um, but it's just so small. So as a, as a Switch player, then, would you mm-hmm. say that it was better when you had it in the TV because it was just bigger... More more pixel density, or not p- uh, pixel density, but more pixels. As or... a Nintendo fanboy, I think it was <laughs> much more relaxing to play on TV. Oh my gosh! Hey, remember in the in the pre-show when I said that fanboy jokes would happen? There's yeah. the fanboy jokes. There we got it. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. What did you play it on? I still had it on the Xbox from when it launched. Okay. Which, I boys, since we're on the subject, mm-hmm. it's not my most proud part of me that like some of the games that I picked for a long time were because they were Xbox exclusives. <laughs> so that's one of the reasons why I even played it in the first place was because I was like, I want, oh. yeah, and okay. And to, to call back to what you said earlier, it could end up being a very good thing because it helps branch me out. But at the time, I think a lot of my motivations weren't that. It was more like, mm. I am an Xbox fanboy. Let's get mm. Ori in the Blind Forest, Halo, mm-hmm. Inside, mm-hmm. Gears 4, not Forza because I'm not that desperate. And then... <laughs> Forza. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> This is E3. I gotta be correct about it. TV, TV. So I still had my I still had my copy from like whenever. I know that it's 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 extremely cliche for millennials to talk about how much they hate themselves from five years ago, but like uh-huh. that's why I got the game. <laughs> Are you a person at all? If you didn't, I know hate yourself five years. I ago? I know. <laughs> it's just a thing terrible thing that i do so were you able to revisit this game and get rid of some of that baggage actually yes i i was pretty happy to and um one of the reasons why it was definitely different was because for the first two hours of the game i actually watched Mm -hmm. armon play it because he had always wanted to play the game that's interesting yeah He's going to have to come back and finish it with me later because I ended up just uh-huh. playing the rest myself just to make sure that I had it all. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and uh, he, he, he left off right before the submarine. So oh, we'll talk about that wow. in a bit. Um, sure. So, and this game is maybe what, like four or five hours long yeah. total? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good So estimate. he left like maybe two-fifths of the way through yeah which i was totally cool with an experience this short 
It wasn't mm-hmm. $60 at release. It was like, I swear it was like 20 like Yeah, or 25 Makes sense. So it was, it was very well priced. Um, they didn't try to stuff in microtransactions. <laughs> Dude, imagine You're right. imagine microtransactions for this game. Like, oh no, you died. Try again. One ninety nine. Oh my god. We start from checkpoint. One ninety nine, <laughs> or go to the beginning. Oh shit. Yeah. That would be awful. I mean, that's basically what arcade games used to be. They were just microtransactions. Yeah, man, but don't remind people of that, or else it's difficult for them to complain about modern games. <laughs> right. They'll let them have their thing. So I'm, I'm surprised, uh, not that you played it with Armon, but I'm surprised that Armon was the one playing it. Yes. Yes. Did he decide to be the one to play it, or did you say you're going to play this um he wanted to so whenever good. i knew that he wanted to so whenever this mm-hmm. came up i was like you should play with me mm-hmm. i did kind of encourage him to be the one to play even though um i'm looking at my notes uh i have things about his mind getting blown that he is literally mm-hmm. dying that he's so stressed <laughs> out and that we have to take a break <laughs> like <laughs> Uh, which is kind of how I feel when uh-huh. I'm playing it too. Don't get me wrong. Uh, oh, really? Yes, yes. I found it to be a pretty spoopy game. Um, oh, okay. And uh, so, oh, how was it hooking over? So the the horror part of that action side scrolling adventure horror genre that is, I think, interpretive. So, that's actually one of my it's questions. It's not scary for me. Okay. Not very spoopy. No. Not at all. Interesting. It's weird. Don't get me wrong. It is weird, but it is not in any way scary. Hmm. So, this, I think, uh, speaks to a, a deeper part of me than it must. Because, um, I think, I, I can't remember if I talked about it on here or not, but one time, whenever uh, Steak Chelsea and I were watching Silence of the Lambs at our house, I had to watch mm-hmm. it from the stairs. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that movie stresses me yeah. out. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, it could still be scary to you. But just to give, like, an idea, like, I had to leave for people. So yeah. there's a whole spectrum, I guess, for this game. Mm-hmm. From, the, from the weenies to the... Uh, Oh god, what's the um there's Weenie Hut Jr. and then there's what's the other thing that SpongeBob was trying to get into? The salty spittoon. And then there's the salty spittoon type guys who don't get scared of inside. And that's right. you. You're a salty spittoon type guy. I think I'm still in, in Weenie Hut general, but it's just not that scary. <laughs> so wait, is there another Weenie Hut that I go to? I think there's a Weenie Ear Hut. <laughs> <laughs> Great, thanks. We'll have to, I, I'm really curious what about the game actually scares you. Is it a spoiler thing that scares you? It is spoiler thing. Okay. So we'll talk about that in just a little bit, I think. Okay. Um, let's uh, let's let's talk about controls since that's something that um, controls. you already mentioned a little bit of. Yeah. On the Switch, at least on the small screen. Yeah. Interacting with some things was harder. Mm-hmm. 
was that the only thing that kind of stuck out as as um as difficult about the way the game controlled and kind of looked or were you good with like the dragging things walking around jumping swinging was a lot was in the game a lot was that all good did that all feel good yeah there wasn't anything else in the game that was like a big problem um Mm -hmm. for me at least like i thought the game controlled quite well i thought that even most of the puzzles were pretty intuitive for the most part uh Mm -hmm. there were a couple that i thought were a little silly but nothing like egregiously bad um like, I don't think I died more than maybe five or ten times. I thought it was a pretty straightforward, easy-to-play game. I thought it was mostly there to, like, be looked at. Yeah. That, that is totally true. It's, it's quite a spectacle. Mm-hmm. Especially the, the uh, end sequence, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just, like, here's this game we made where you, you've seen this very, like, serene and calm environment all throughout and at the end everything just comes collapsing down and you see all the destruction physics that like they didn't actually really show at at the in the rest of the game Mm -hmm. very much um yeah it was a it was really good at keeping me on my toes like Mm -hmm. i never knew what was going to happen next in that game Mm. yeah that's how i felt the first time playing through obviously i know it's coming um it did also kind of affect how i approach the puzzles so Mm. it is perhaps one of those games where after you've done it even if you haven't played it in a while you'll come back and you're like oh i I remember i had to go into this room and do Mm -hmm. something with this thing yeah so replay value as far as challenge goes maybe not yeah but replay value as far as experience goes i would definitely say it's pretty good yeah you come back and you put yourself back in the world and you you get the heebie-jeebies mm-hmm. <laughs> at least for me i could see it being something you'd play maybe twice or three times because mm-hmm. it's also pretty short so like yeah. the first playthrough is probably five hours i bet you could do the second one in like two and a half yeah just because you know how the puzzles all work and you know where to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the reason I think that that is is because a lot of the puzzles are just knowing how they work. Yeah. Pretty few of them are like you have to land the BXR just right, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you can, you can just plan well and do well. Yeah. The only exceptions to that, I think, are, this, are anytime you have to swing – pretty much every time that would always trip me up <laughs> yeah but the yeah exactly the rest of them are usually pretty forgiving and straightforward like it's not a puzzle yeah. game there are just puzzles in the game yeah yeah i had to pick those um those uh descriptors from the description quite carefully and i decided not to put puzzle game in there because mm-hmm. i felt like eh more like an experience you know man yeah i think that's the right way to characterize it like 
It's definitely belongs to those category of games that are trying to make you feel a certain way when you play them. Yeah. Um, definitely not heavy on things like gameplay and strangely mm-hmm. enough, not very heavy on like narrative. Um, right. It seems to me it's just like a tone piece. Like it's really meant to make you feel something. Yeah. Yes. What did you generally feel? Um, I don't know. It's really hard to describe. And, and it wasn't fear, like I already said. And it wasn't even really like any sort of anxiety. Um, yeah. But it was definitely like a cousin feeling to like, like sadness. Um, yeah. Like uh, being sort of. What's the right word for this? Like you have no power, you're kind of feeble um, to these like bigger things that are bigger than yourself, like a lack of choice. Yeah. Um, and and also sort of like uncertainty. Uncertainty is probably mm-hmm. the predominant emotion. Yeah. Which... Is it because as you went through any time that you kind of entered a new area along this journey you didn't know why you were there or or really what was going to be in there is that a lot of it or is there more to it yeah i think the game sets you up to feel that way right from the get-go like you don't know why you're controlling this little kid you don't know why you're going where you're going you don't know what the people around you are doing you don't know why you're getting chased yeah uh exactly you don't know even if you're getting chased. Like, and what I mean by that is, yes, there are things that are that will attack you if they see you, but they don't seem like they're chasing you. Maybe like it seems like they just might have seen you and want to get you. Oh, okay. So more like that they are like sentinels that happen to notice you. Yeah. Less like uh, we know this kid in this red shirt escaped. We gotta right. find him. But maybe they did. I don't know. Um, and and they start strong with that whole, like, what's going on feeling, and then it just never goes away. Yeah. Because, like, you keep thinking that maybe you've figured out a little bit of what's happening in front of you, and then the the next really weird thing happens, and you're (laughs) like, okay, I just, I don't get it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that the powerlessness is, is core to the whole experience Mm -hmm. um, and even to some of the meta theories which we'll discuss in the spoiler section about the game yeah um there's two predominant interpretations of what's going on and both of them are all about um the little boy character really not having any control over what's going on for different reasons right um and just kind of being called to something Mm-hmm. Which is worse than being led to something because you're you're leading yourself, you know. Yeah. Um. So I felt a lot of that, in addition to my like, uh, pant <laughs> horror at some cases because I'm a, <laughs> a super weenie hut junior, um, <laughs> and a few key points which we'll also discuss. Uh, okay. Yeah, like um, normally, I feel like when you have this sort of, uh 
story setup where you've got the dystopian sci-fi. Yeah. You got a little kid who's like in a world that is is all gray and bleak and sad. You've either got the really positive ending or it's like the kid figures out what's going on societally and, and figures out how to fix it or at least make it better for a few people and thereby giving you optimism they can keep making it better for other people. Uh, you mm-hmm. get like the, the depressed, sad ending where like the, the kid doesn't do the thing and realizes that nobody can do the thing and that they're all just going to be stuck like that forever, uh, which is rare because I think it sucks to watch that kind of movie or that kind of story. Yeah. Um, or you get like the ambiguous or or ironic ending where it's like either this whole thing was an illusion the whole time and it's not really going on or like everybody's just a cog in the machine but i can be the enlightened one or like you know some other Mm -hmm. interpretation where they they just kind of like sidestep the problem rather than solve it or succumb to it and this one this game does it feel like it belongs in any of those I was going to say that exact thing. I don't feel as though it was any of those kinds of outcomes. Yeah. It feels like it's just kind of you're you're picking up on a story that has started a long time ago and you get to witness this couple hours of it and then you, you leave as the player. You are a spectator and now you're no longer involved after the game's over. But yeah. the, nothing's resolved. Yeah. I I don't necessarily agree that nothing was resolved. I feel as though I feel as though the arc did complete. Um Okay. And I know that saying that in hindsight, saying that is kind of a tease because <laughs> I don't want to say why until later. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, listener. Um we'll talk about that when we get there I sure think, i guess i disagree that by the end everything is i don't think by the end everything is resolved i felt like the game ended on a very dissonant note maybe not i would not say everything either for sure okay but i think that uh the boy's story was over mm. maybe maybe yeah, that's how I feel about it. This is this is over, maybe. But we'll get to that. Before we make that transition, is there anything else that you wanna that you wanna ask about or or say about the game before we get into despoiler territory? Why did this come back up on your list? Why did you choose this? I generally pick things for this podcast because I want your reactions at certain key moments. <laughs> oh, okay. So you're manipulating me. I always am manipulating. <laughs> <laughs> In addition, I felt like um, when I first experienced the game, I thought it was a very cool thing to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I also tend to like to bring forth examples of things that uh how do i say this um that fit really well with my psyche 
And okay. I know that saying that can be really dangerous when we're talking about a dystopian like yeah <laughs> like sci-fi type thing but right you sound very stable <laughs> so stable <laughs> but there there are certain things about this where like they play to to my own fears and they mm. and they they kind of we've talked about on on episodes in the past before where like they just leave really strong imprints in me because I feel like, oh, this world makes really good sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it feels like it was made for me, but it wasn't actually made for me, obviously. But it's more because I made it for myself. Mm -hmm. And those kinds of games, I feel like not every game does that. Yeah. Um, To bring back uh, a couple of completely unrelated examples, I think Halo does it better than Gears for me, for example. Mm. Even though I really like Gears... Um, I don't think I would pick it for this podcast because mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily explore the same things that other games do, like Inside or Halo. Mm. Potentially long answer to your question, but I think it fits really well in my head. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, because I was playing this. And like I was saying, my predominant reaction to most things was just like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. And then shortly after that, I would think, and why did Daniel pick this? <laughs> like, why would he choose this? What is going on? Well. But it was very good. Uh, it, was, it wasn't like I was upset with you. Like, why would you do this? <laughs> just more like, this is so bizarre. Why would he have ever decided to play this voluntarily? <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes you gotta, you gotta go to really weird places. Yeah. With your, with your media. And we'll do that. Back to this podcast. Right after we get up and take a bathroom break. We get to some really weird Weird. places. (laughs) Let's do it. Okay. Go urinate. Yep. See you guys in the spoiler section. Today's episode is brought to you by Invincible Submersibles. Do you ever find yourself trapped in a massive underwater industrial complex with no clear way out to safety? Well, next time, make sure you bring along your Invincible Submersible. It's got everything you need to survive the perils that await you in your new dark dystopia. Infinite breathable air. Impenetrable outer chassis. Super luxe protective lighting. The patented Invincible Submersible is available literally exactly right before you need it. So don't wait. Get yourself out with Invincible Submersibles. Um, Disclaimer, not completely impenetrable. Please see therapists before engaging in actual escape from underwater industrial complexes. And we'd also like to thank Sheriff of Nottingham for sponsoring this episode of Res. Have you ever been at home thinking about what to do with those thousands and thousands of dollars that you've got squirreled away in your savings account? Well, we've got a way to put them to use with the Sheriff of Nottingham. It's a simple app. All you do is download it, open up, start your profile, and the Sheriff of Nottingham will take a look at today's financial markets, all of your savings, combine the two in a beautiful way, and lose all of your money overnight. The Sheriff of Nottingham is an app that big banks don't want you to have. It can allow you to become a day trader from the ease of your own home and make everybody 
over on r slash wall street bets envious of your biggest loss in a day so sign up now and put all that money that you don't know what to do with to good use in exchanging it for free internet points thanks to sheriff of nottingham for sponsoring the show use the offer code res to get an additional 10% of your checking account included when you sign up. Before we get into a little bit of an overview, mm-hmm. um, which, side note, do you want to give it or do you want me to give it? How do you feel? Uh, uh, I don't care. Okay. Before we get into to you giving kind of an overview of what's going on in the game, uh-huh. um, take a look at the, the link I sent you in Discord. Oh. You sent me a link in Discord. It says, don't look at yeah. this yet. Well, I'm telling you now. Ah, now I can look at it. This is perhaps the best way that we could represent to um, the listeners who want to know what the game is like like on a macro scale. Ooh. How the game flows. Yeah. Can you describe what I sent you? Yeah. So... What Daniel has sent me is all of the 3D models used in this game for the the world that you walk through. They've been exported into a single image and stitched together so that what you're looking at kind of in this picture from lower left-hand corner to upper right-hand corner is the entire game world laid out from start to finish. And the reason that this would give you, if you were looking at it, kind of a good idea of what this game is doing um, is that it's a side-scroller, so you're always going from left to right. So it shows you, in the very beginning, you've got the forest that you start out in, and then the farm that you make your way to, and then the city that you get inside of. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a really cool little map. It illustrates something that that I'm not sure how well we went into in the first half, mm-hmm. but it is a side-scroller, but not in the way that, that a lot of um, other side-scrollers are. It is continuous. So right. from the very beginning when you start in the forest, spatially, you can actually think of it as all one big continuous hike that the boy in the red shirt goes that goes through. Yeah. Um. Whereas, like in Mario, you like go to an overworld and you come back, and then you side scroll. Right. This is a little bit different. But yeah, do you want to kind of give an, a general overview of what happens? And you can gloss over parts where it's just like, here's pretty stuff if you want to, unless you want to mention that it's pretty. But just the general beats that get hit. Yeah, I can try to. Um... Yeah, and I could say, I'll say try, because I think a lot of what actually happens in this game is a little bit interpretive. Yes, Um, yes. So I'll just sort of run through, I'll actually use this map as a handy little guide to to remind me along the way. Um, But like we said, the game opens up with a a little view of a small forest, and Mm -hmm. rustling out of the leaves on the left side comes this boy in a red shirt, and he slides down this rock to the ground and you're off and you're running and you're controlling him and he's running past these like large metal containers and running past some guys who are loading a bunch of townspeople into the back of a like a tractor trailer 
uh, semi truck and then he runs past some guys with flashlights who if they see him will shoot him um yeah which is pretty intense yeah so it's like okay well this isn't a nice place to be uh so the boy runs through the forest and at this point you kind of feel like he's running away from all of these people who are like searching the forest and rounding up the other humans and throwing them on trucks and there's these like dudes with masks they're kind of weird looking uh like very blank masks but anyway they have dogs and the dogs will chase you and they're much faster than you so you have to be clever and evade them and they'll try shooting at you from bridges and all sorts of things but you basically go through this whole kind of classic forest escape uh until you reach a farm where you lose the the guys who are on your tail and you go through this farm where you kind of encounter the first sci-fi element of inside which is a pig that's got like a little what looks like a tail um but is actually revealed to be like a mind controlling slug Mm-hmm. Um, and and the pig is like chasing you, and you're able to get it to knock itself out, and you can pull the slug out of it, and the pig just goes back to being a regular old pig. So like, okay, that's a little strange. Um, also, in that room is the first time you run into this device that if the kid uh, jumps up, he can like plug his head into it and control these humanoid things. I don't know if they're people or not. It's hard to tell because they don't like mm-hmm. have faces or anything. Um, but he can directly control them to manipulate objects or run around and stand in certain spots. Um, mm-hmm. So you run into this pig, you run into this mind control thing, um, and you use the little humanoid guys to help you get through the farm. Once you're through the farm, then you approach this giant like retaining wall and sneak through it to get into this dystopian city where people are being unloaded from these trucks and like marched through this line and examined by other people the same people that are wearing masks it it just looks like these people are being rounded up and kind of taken to some sort of factory for something um i guess one of the presumptions is that they're being turned into these mindless fellas who you were mind controlling earlier Mm-hmm. Um, but you make it through the city you go through kind of an underground section um, after that then I think you get to the point where you make your like you escape the city mm-hmm. and go down into this like lake area um, it's, like sub, it's like where the undercity has been flooded or something. Yeah. It's like really weird. It like starts out as like a lake and then you realize it's not a lake. Like you're still in the city and parts of the old city have been flooded. Um, mm-hmm. And down in those areas of flooded old city are like these laboratories that look like they were doing experiments on humans. And you eventually run into like this mermaid that if she catches you she'll like strangle you and drown you um so you use your invincible submersible to get away (laughs) from her and and navigate through this 
this uh, city that's been flooded. Then once you make it out of there, you keep going for a little bit until... Uh, I don't actually remember if you reach the like the active experimentation area first or if you drown and get your superpower first. Um, it's right before the active experimentation that, that the mermaid does actually catch you. And at first you think you just failed, but it's kind of revealed to be part of the story. And she yeah. drags you down down into the water and presumably you die but well not really yeah it doesn't quite show you dying like the mermaid and i don't know if it's the same mermaid like i think it's implied that there are different mermaids uh hmm. throughout this section but one of them whenever you you fail to make a jump and it's somewhat scripted uh she like swims up to you instead of strangling you, like, attaches this little umbilical cord to you um, yeah. as you're, like, slowly drifting down through this big chasm. And yeah. once you reach the bottom, you, you know, struggle and take the cord off, and suddenly you can breathe underwater now. So that's cool. Um, yeah, you've ascended. Yeah, don't know how that works, but you can breathe underwater. Then you go through this... Uh, a lab that is similar to the old experimentation rooms that you were looking at before that had been flooded, but these ones are active. Um, so they're like running experiments on these faceless people. And this is where it gets really weird. Um, is you find this like blob of human bits, it seems, that are like floating in some sort of central tank that all of these researchers are looking at. Uh, and when you swim in there to try to like disconnect all of the same little umbilical cord things that the mermaid attached to you from this blob, it like captures you and then you can control it. And so for the last like third of the game, you are this hulking mass of people parts uh, that they refer to as the huddle and yeah. you can like smash through walls and like kill people if you run into them you're basically invincible um, and you're you're trying to I guess break out of this research facility mm -hmm. um, and once you're almost out you're in this room like it's it's like an auditorium full of people and you go to grab this block that like you've been using for all of these different puzzles throughout the game. You can't quite reach it, um, but when you really stretch out to try and grab it, the floor drops out from under you, and you're like trapped in this this little water containment area, which you then break out from and continue running away, breaking through this wall. Uh, and rolling down a hillside out onto a very pleasant beach where you sit in the sunlight and that's the end of the game. Yeah. So there's a lot that goes on. There's a, there's some stuff that I left out, some of the more mundane details. I kind of skimmed through a lot of the puzzles I skimmed through. Um, one area that I actually didn't talk about that I really was my favorite area of the whole game was the shockwave room. 
Yes, the shockwave room was so cool. Yeah, by far my favorite. It was like this giant, and I think it was before you got to the lab. It was this really long uh, bridge that went through this huge open expanse. And every like five seconds or so, this huge shockwave would just ripple through and like shake and destroy everything around you. And if you were not standing behind something, when the shockwave came through, it just like eviscerates your body. <laughs> and you explode. It was really a cool room. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the, the general setup of it. Yeah, no, yeah, that that hits pretty much all of the all of the bits there. It's a story about the about the boy in the red shirt running for some reason, picks up little bits of this really mysterious set of experiments that are going on, and then finds the blob or the huddle that has been at the center of all of it, and then helps it escape. Potentially. Probably. Yeah, maybe exactly hard to say so um the mermaid yeah this i think is the 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 quintessential like fear that i have that really made this game like a horror game for me Mm -hmm. okay that was my guess yeah um Tell me what you find scary about the mermaid. Whenever I was growing up, mm-hmm. this has got to be more common than I think it is. But at least for me, I I had a real intense fear of the edge of the bed. Oh. Or like, okay. like lifting my feet over that mm-hmm. half a second where you don't see what's beneath you. Mm-hmm. As a kid, that's the time when... Your your feet are gone. Whatever monsters are there are gonna they're gonna take they're gonna take your feet off. Yeah. And so, in these water sections where you're getting chased by this mermaid, it's underwater, so that's kind of scary too, you know. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing for me was that a lot of the gameplay revolved around like barely getting away and mm-hmm. not seeing if you were making it out alive or not. Mm-hmm. Or if the mermaid lady was going to take your feet off. Right. And so, like, for some people, childhood fears just never go away. And they become the thing that, like, really drives the feelings the most. And that's what the, the mm. mermaid underwater bits were for me. So you were, you didn't like it because you couldn't see where it was underwater before you went underwater sometimes and then the times where like you could see her like swimming as fast as she can at you while you're Mm -hmm. like while you're like about to go through a doorway to safety but you weren't Mm -hmm. sure if that was gonna be like if you were gonna make it or if she was gonna grab your feet and pull you back or something oh i see that was like that was top level for me Mm. um so, comment in the subreddit if you also have that irrational fear of feet getting grabbed because of your childhood <laughs> or not. <laughs> um, otherwise, 
The other things that kind of stood out for me as horror, I don't know how you felt about the dogs, but they were kind of like, they were vicious very yeah. early on yeah. in the game. A lot of the deaths for the kid in the red were pretty horrific. Yeah. Like getting shot, getting beaten, getting strangled underwater, getting ripped apart by dogs. I think one of the most the most interesting ones, but not necessarily the most scary ones, was... um. There were several sections where um, there were these searchlights. Oh yeah! And if you strayed yep. out of the search into the searchlight, then um, from somewhere off screen, this like cable like wire thing would shoot at you like a taser, and like it's the taser head is bigger than the kid. It felt like so yeah. it was like just getting fucking like smashed through and like like impaled yeah. on this thing. Exactly. That was it was like a little crazy. slinky. Yeah. That oh. would like electrocute you. Yeah, those that was weird. Um, the dogs I didn't really think were very scary. I I hated the dogs. I got mad at the dogs. You got mad at the dogs. I also yeah. could have could have seen that as a thing cuz it was one of the least forgiving parts, right? Yeah, well, just specifically there there were only like two puzzles that really rubbed me the wrong way this game. Yeah, yeah, and talk about those a little one bit. One of them was the one where you're getting chased by a pack of three dogs. Uh-huh. And there's like a chain link fence that the boy can climb, but the dogs cannot. So the dogs have to run around this very long hallway and go down one end and then come out the other end around to the other side of the chain link fence when you run over it. Yeah. And then you so you can vault over this fence. And there's like a little opening in the the bottom half of the wall that the boy is trying to squeeze through, but it's been boarded over. So he has to pull these planks off. But you have to pull like three planks off before you can fit through. Yep. So you have to go on the chain link fence, jump over it, pull off a plank, wait for the dogs to almost get you, get back on the chain link fence, hop over to the other side, wait for them to run around and almost get you. Yeah. And just like repeat this three or four times. Um, and the first time I got to that puzzle, I, uh, I was so like trusting that this game was just keep going right. Yeah. That whenever I tried to pull up a second board and the kid took forever and then he got eaten, I was like, well, that's dumb. <laughs> so yeah. I like, I tried to do the puzzle the right way. And then of course I messed that up once and then I actually did it the right way. And so it's like. This was a, an encounter that could have been, you know, a minute of my life that turned into like 10 minutes of me just like cussing at this game. <laughs> um, yeah. I yeah. really don't like puzzles where the solution is like you have to die to figure it out. Mm. I, I think would, those are stupid. I was thinking you might you might come forward with that. Yeah. Well, and uh, let me get this straight, though. Like death is a fine mechanic for figuring out something as long as the death doesn't dissipate the quality of the experience that the creator is trying to go for okay so like in this case this kid dying doesn't make any sense from the point of view that like you're gonna keep playing the game right like all of the deaths have to be these alternate timelines in Storyland, for okay. you to have actually succeeded. Uh, okay. 
there's no like in story reason why the kids should be able to come back and try this again. Oh. Right. Okay. So whenever you die, it like completely ruins the dramatic tension. And yeah. this is the problem that a lot of games face that are, you know, story or experience driven is like you want there to f- be a palpable sense of danger, but if you ever actually kill the player, then you've ruined the pacing of the game. Yeah, yeah. I put down Because you have to let them try again. Yeah. I actually put down the load times between deaths as being a, somewhat of a problem for this game. Um, okay. Comparing it with Ori and the Blind Forest, which is nearly instant resets, mm. it's... Even though it wasn't a heck of a long time, it still did mess with the flow more than with Ori, for example. Yeah. Um, I will I will say, I do think that that, that you're probably unique in this feeling which is okay which is okay i'm i'm more maybe that's maybe that's a little bit uh (laughs) that might be a bit hyperbolic between us two you're unique okay (laughs) um (laughs) you're not that singular there's probably other people who feel the same way Uh, i think a lot of people feel this way yeah i was i'm i'm fine with not needing a story reason for uh death resets i think that's that's okay um like i think it's okay it's a video game right yeah so you you respawn it's a video game i'm not maligning that fact what i i think the game could have been better if they could have come up with a story reason for you to be coming back after dying just because it's it's meant to draw you in yeah and so things like that kick you back out yeah like being reminded that it's a game mm-hmm. takes you out of the the headspace that I think they're trying to create. Yeah, I can see that. Have you played Super Meat Boy? Yeah, I haven't actually played it. Whenever you die in Super mm-hmm. Meat Boy, do you come back to a totally pristine world, or does it kind of like show your past attempts? Yeah, like your blood stays on the spot that you died. That's what I thought was happening. So, is that an example of the of the mechanic slash story reason that helps to like make death easier to deal with as a player? Where like my impression with Super Meat Boy is that it's hard, and so you're gonna die. So. Right. Seeing that you've already tried something is like a subtle way of of showing that. Um, it's not just a game like this has happened before you know right is that kind of what you're speaking towards yeah i guess all i'm speaking towards is the need to maintain continuity yeah yeah and death is a discontinuity in many games Mm -hmm. um whereas games like super meat boy even though it's discontinuous in the spatial sense like you hit you get three quarters of the way through the level you hit a buzzsaw you die you start at the beginning yeah. It's not discontinuous in a temporal sense because you still see like here's where I ran the last time I was alive, here's where I died. <coughs> like the the world maintains a state. Gotcha. That you are part of. Um or something like we go back to it all the time, but Dark Souls. There's oh, a story yeah. reason for coming back after dying in that game. Mm-hmm. And so when you die and you you respawn it doesn't feel like somebody is just hitting the rewind button 
on a tape and hoping mm-hmm. that next time they hit play, something different happens, which is what happens in a lot of these narrative-driven games because it's hard to do narrative storytelling in a way that handles death well. Yeah. Um, unless you like include an actual rewind mechanic in your game. Like time travel or some shit. Yeah. Like, it could be very tough because you can't just keep explaining every time somebody dies, okay, here's what happened then, you know? Yeah. Um, Something, though, that I think they could have done with this game, because it's so opaque in a lot of ways, is, like, they could have made, you know, like a little slime tube that the boy gets resurrected out of, for example. Yeah, Um, like that there's a bunch of clones of them or something. Yeah, like, they could have come up with some interesting thing that like mm-hmm. physically brings the boy back um, that I think would have made this game at least made the death in this game more tolerable uh, and actually maybe allow them to do more interesting puzzles as a result mm-hmm. of that like I think that's one of the reasons why the puzzle design doesn't get too adventurous is because if it got to the point where like you had serious risk of dying in every single puzzle. Yeah. Then the the pacing of the game would just be completely shot. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much all of the puzzles are are like there are two elements that are part of this puzzle and as soon as you figure out how those two elements fit together, you move on. <laughs> yeah. Um which isn't a bad thing, but it's the it's the design decision that they made there and exactly you're not necessarily thrilled with it you would give that design decision one out of seven right no 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 no. i'm not saying it's a <laughs> no. bad decision no, I'm, I'm just kidding, saying I'm that kidding. like <laughs> by making player death more part of the experience of the game itself yeah it unlocks other doors is all i'm trying to say gotcha. like player death in this game i think is not treated in a wise way whereas most other things in this game are mm-hmm so if there's one thing that I could change and improve about the game, it would be that. Was was the was the death mechanic also part of the second frustrating part? You said there were two, I think. Or was it a different thing that helped make that frustrating? Um You talked about the chain link fence with the three doggies. Who are not Yeah, that was like the most frustrating puzzle. I think the only other frustrating one was sometimes with the mermaid. Yeah. When you were in the sub or when you were f- swimming free form? When I was in the submarine. Because mm. there you had to like manage, uh, you had like a little light that's on your submarine. And if you point the light at her, mm-hmm. then she'll like back away from you. So you have to like move a little bit ahead, turn around, point the light at her to get her off your back. Yeah. Move a little bit ahead, you know, like keep doing that. Um, and it took me like dying maybe five or six times before I figured out that's what was going on. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of like the the ghosts in in Mario. Yeah. If you look at them, exactly. they go. Right. Nifty. Gotcha. So. So you only have two things that you hate. Therefore, I think that you only take two points off of the score, and you give it a five out of seven. Hmm. Interesting decision. <laughs> Did you get at all scared by the huddle? Did that creep you uh, out? The first time, I was like, what? 
<laughs> and I think that's kind of the intention. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really liked how the 10 minutes leading up to that, where you're just kind of like walking through the office building is a really mm-hmm. nice um, build up to that. It's kind of puzzle free yeah. for the most part, except for a couple things. And that's mm-hmm. when you're starting to feel like, I, I, wait, I'm approaching something here. And they right. And when you really know what your goal is, is whenever you get to the big window where everybody's looking in, and but you can't see yeah. the blob yet. And right. then you're like, uh, "What's going on here?" And then you make your way around, and down, and kind of epically like, like, get sucked in, and then your all your clothes fall off, and you're like, "What?" And then that that immediately gets gets forgotten about because then you swim slightly to the right and you see the blob and you're like what? <laughs> What's this yeah. like writhing mass of of limbs and uh oh, and all that kind of thing? Mhm. Um but then uh after that you actually feel really powerful as the blob. Like <laughs> it's yeah, you're awesome. indestructible. Yes. Um, I especially loved the part where in your effort to escape, you like go into this kind of like cafeteria common room type thing. And you're just like, everything is just falling apart around you as you like flow, like you, as you like kick things over accidentally. And then you bust through this wall and it's like the boss's office. Yeah. And then like, that's like a really subtle way of the blob kind of, I think getting revenge because you push, Uh you push through the like windows behind the boss and fall like uh-huh. 50, 100 feet and splat, just squish him. And it was so satisfying. Okay, so you squished him? Oh, does that not happen in all of them? You don't have to. Oh, shit. Yeah, so I actually broke through the room. So I was trying to not kill anybody as that thing. Oh, okay. And I accidentally like... There was one guy in the cafeteria who just would not get out of the way. Like, his little pathling <laughs> was stuck on one of those tables. So I, like, just nudged the table a little bit, and it sent him flying. <laughs> um, yeah. So he died, but everybody else... Yeah, so I, like, went into the boss's office, and oh, he was, like, sitting there up against the window, like, all scared. And I walked close and just kind of stood there. And eventually he, like, sidled out of the way, like, a good 30 seconds later and ran oh, past man. me oh that's really cool yeah talk about freaking like letting the player pick their own story there man that's really exactly cool. well but you smashed him oh i smashed the hell out of him um <laughs> because i feel like one of the thing one of the things that the game keeps like like throwing your way at several parts is that like this is like some human on human genocide type shit here. Mm-hmm. And like that felt like a really great way me playing the boy to like get my revenge for getting rounded up, experimented on and all that kind of stuff. And, mm. and it's another human. All of these yeah. people are other humans. So oh, it just yeah, felt so right. I guess there, there's a few questions that I have here. Yeah. about this whole situation one is you you kind of just said it but are these the same people as the ones who are rounding up everybody else and bringing them to the city 
this is getting into the interpretive type mm-hmm. place of the game. Yep. I have interpreted it as that they are other humans. And a key moment that I think infor- like reinforces that for me mm-hmm. is one of the scenes um, kind of not too far before um, the kid gets to the office buildings where the blob is and everything. He has to go backwards. So he has to go left a little bit into this really darkened warehouse mm-hmm. where there are um, boxes everywhere, but there's also cages with people in it. Yep. And the boy has to get a box to use for some puzzle. And as he's dragging it back towards the right, a giant bay door opens and this forklift mm-hmm. comes in and starts to take mm. away one of the cages. But that's not yep. necessarily the most interesting thing that's happening here. You see a man with a mask on, but he also has his kid there. Right. And that I feel like is a way of communicating to the player, potentially the interpretive part, of course, but communicating Mm -hmm. to the player that there's a kid there. These aren't like aliens or anything. Mm -hmm. They're also humans just like me. So it's, it's kind of like that boy in the striped pajamas type thing. I feel like that makes sense. Um, okay. And I, no, I totally think they're humans. Um, I guess my question was, are they the same people? Are the people in the lab, do you think they're the same people as the ones who are, like, doing the rounding up of uh, other people? okay. Or do you think they're just, like, buying people off of a human trafficking market or something entirely different? Oh, okay. Uh, I hadn't considered the human trafficking market type thing. Um, I would not be surprised if it was human trafficking. That's a really sad thing to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, it- could happen um and the only reason like i i asked this question is because the people in the first third of the game mm -hmm. are like wearing all black and have masks on but the people in this company that you're like going through this research place are all like in lab coats and like they look very different so i wonder if it's two different arms of the same organization or if it's two different organizations collaborating i don't really know the whole like post-apocalyptic undertone of the game makes it mm. kind of hard to to land on a solid answer for that because yeah who knows if humans are working together anymore after they have lit like literally flooded subterranean cities and stuff and they're like doing mm. these like weird experiments or is it a case where like the the authorities are so organized in this post-apocalypse that like they are orchestrating all of this, you know, Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. both are valid interpretations there. Yeah. My second question here is the scene that you're describing before you get to the huddle. Yeah. This writhing mass of human bits floating in a tub of water mm-hmm. before you get there you see all of these scientists like running over to the window to look at it yeah yep why are they running over to the window to look at it i don't know i don't know i um this kind of could be part of one of the fan interpretations of what's going on mm-hmm. um so let me explain that real quick one of the theories is that 
the reason that it feels like the boy is kind of being called to something is because the boy is actually being controlled by the blob. That's the theory. That's a theory. Yes, a theory. So, to me, it could be that the blob has kind of known that Mm -hmm. it's about to be like... um, Maybe up until this point, it had been completely encased in metal and stuff, and the people weren't able to look at it, really. And this is, like, the first time that, like, all the scientists' work is being put on display. So that's why they're running to Mm -hmm. it. And consequently, that's when the boy is arriving, is because the blob has timed it that way. Yeah. Um otherwise if it's not the case and it's always just been this open glass thing it's definitely weird that the people are like (laughs) oh yeah let me just go check out this thing that i've seen a thousand times already it must be really interesting (laughs) yeah because there's like people that are like pushing over chairs to get there there's like dudes driving up in a golf cart to come look at it yeah people are excited to see this thing doing whatever it's doing i don't know don't know um my guess isn't that so I don't personally buy into the blob controlling the boy theory just because I don't think there's that much evidence for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more of like a meta textual question in that case. But yeah. what I think is happening is whenever the mermaid hooks you up to that little thingy, yeah. um, I don't quite know what it is, but just this little cord adapter thing that she hooks you up to. I feel like that in some way links you to the blob because whenever you're freeing it, it has all of those exact same adapters yeah, on it. Yeah. And it also can like breathe underwater and like do all of the stuff that you get the power to do once the mermaid like converts you. So my guess is that because the boy is getting closer, it's like starting to move. Oh, okay. And that's why the scientists are interested. Yeah, like, yeah potentially whereas before it was just like chilling out in the water and they do like experiments on it and stuff but now it's like doing its own thing and like squirreling around and getting real excited because the boy is close possibly it's trying to be a distraction so that way people don't pay attention to this random kid in their office building (laughs) right (laughs) yeah hmm potentially which is that begs so many more questions like why does the blob want the boy like how does the blob know about the boy Mm -hmm. why is the boy even running to the blob like that's one of the things that is hardest for me to understand about the game Mm -hmm. which is that in the beginning you feel like you're running away from something yeah but at a certain point you start to realize you're actually running to something Mm -hmm. and that something is the blob yeah and I think this is actually where the kind of other fan theory comes in. And that is that getting a bit meta here. Um, mm-hmm. In in narrative games, players are used to running in one direction for no reason. Right? Or like right. for no other reason than to go hit the next guy and like get his loot or yeah. whatever. And like yeah. go fight Ganondorf. Um, yep, that's what you do in every game. Every single one. Um, so is it possible that that 
one of the things that this game is about is kind of playing with that idea where at first the player thinks that they're um actually let me take a step back that the player is actually an actor in the story and that they're kind of the one controlling the boy and and therefore like puppeteering this entire story without anybody knowing mm-hmm. that it's happening in the story yeah um and and what i think is it is a pretty decent support for that is what you just said about it where like at some point even the player realizes that they were an actor and that at first they were just kind of passively running but at some point it flips to actually like trying to figure out what's going on so they're like actually pushing the boy forward rather than just running away from the dogs and the dudes in in masks and stuff mm-hmm. which i think is a really yeah. is another really interesting way to see the game um cuz it plays with you know something that every narrative game has which is you're on rails somewhere what could be at the end um and actually like kind of makes the player part of it you know yeah yeah i i think i support that reading of it more than just about any other Mm -hmm. like the player being part of the game in a sense Mm -hmm. um for a lot of different reasons but like in this specific interpretation of it right the thing that pushes him towards the blob or the the huddle whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it is you like you want to get there Mm mm-hmm um as the player like you want to see what happens next and what happens next is exactly the sort of thing like you want to happen it's not all sunshine and roses for the kid he doesn't make it to the farm area and then decide <laughs> like no i'm just gonna like live on a farm now yeah which in real life might be what you would do if you had been pushed out of the forest by like a bunch of armed guards yeah and you make it somewhere safe you might be like i'm just gonna chill here now on the beach um, or yeah but in this game he's just like nope gonna keep going yeah gonna keep getting weirder and and get to the point where like you're becoming part of an amorphous human blob yeah um yeah i think it's exactly what the player wants let's talk about that ending real quick yeah so you were not necessarily feeling like it was definitely wasn't a happy ending how would you describe your feelings at the end there when the blob is sitting in the sunshine on the beach not moving um not like incredulous but (laughs) there was definitely a sense of like this can't be it (laughs) yeah but then whenever the credits start going you go uh oh this is it (laughs) this is it this is all there is here um yeah and i i think that speaks exactly to this whole like no keep going yeah desire that the player infuses into the game that would be missing otherwise like this game doesn't make sense without a player saying no keep going Yeah. yeah the boy has no reason to keep going yeah um so i feel like the ending is a little bit dissatisfactory because it pushes the player back out of the game Mm -hmm. 
it's, it's kind of saying like thanks we're done with you now <laughs> we've accomplished what we needed to do i suppose would you have preferred that you saw the blob continue onwards on its next adventure like like that its story continues rather than i i interpreted it as it's dead i don't know if you do too mm-hmm. but oh i don't think it's dead you don't think it's dead hmm i mean that thing is indestructible <laughs> that's fair so then so then if it is just laying there and maybe like five minutes later it continues on is that is that mm-hmm. really a bad thing like i think so because my reading of the ending is that the blob was manipulated into going there mm, by the player and the scientists oh oh so, like um because of the way, like the couple points along the way where the scientists helped it get out there's a couple points along the way where the scientists helped it get out i also don't know if you notice like at one point you fall into this diorama yeah yep it and it is the coastline that you end up landing on i i didn't notice that the first time but i definitely wrote it down the second time i was like oh oh i know that (laughs) yeah and earlier in the game you're like going through a forest and the forest you can like see there's like panels of the ceiling missing and it's like it's a constructed environment yeah and the thing that i think cinches it all for me at least in this whole idea that the blob didn't escape it's just in another holding area um like it's in a holding area that it thinks it has freed itself Ah. from the scientist but is still being kept right because after they like goad you into this room where you fall into the the vat at the very end right which is already weird because there's a whole audience of people there waiting for this to happen yeah which is creepy that's pretty strange. Like they've set bait for you and they're going to trap you and they're watching it happen. Yeah. Um, you escape quote unquote from that. And to get to the coastline, you crash through what looks like the back of like a soundstage. Mm, it's just all wood and, and like struts and stuff. Yeah. You're not like, like going out of a door into the clear open world where you can see the blue sky and like it goes on forever Mm -hmm. you're like breaking in from the wrong side of reality into this little Mm -hmm. hillscape that leads to the coastline that just dead ends and you sit in a beam of sunlight yeah Hmm. it feels to me like it didn't get out i hadn't that you're still inside Oh, wow. Meta. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. Um I had just I had just thought the that the diorama that the diorama was like another reason to uh kind of point the player towards like to to kind of like how do I say this? Make the player feel like or excuse me, make the make the player feel like the game knows that they're there. Like that, mm-hmm. oh, I know that you know that this part exists later on in the game. Right. Um, but that's an interesting theory, that he just lands in a constructed 
um, nature reserve for the blob. That's really terrifying, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think it also plays into the idea that the game knows you're there. Yeah. Um, but not in a positive way. In almost like a... And I think this is why the ending made me a little uncomfortable in a way that is like, okay, like we've manipulated you. We've tricked you, the player, into the ending of this game, into the point where you're satisfied and you will walk away and you'll be just like the blob sitting on the beach. Like you're happy. You played the game. You got what you wanted to out of it. And now you're going to disconnect and for the purposes of this game world, like we've put you in your little constructed environment, like they, and that constructed environment being the emotion and yeah. the feeling of the game itself. You know, if that's true, it actually elevates my my uh, satisfaction with the ending, as twisted as that is, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. because. I think Inside is a game that's that's entirely about trying to manipulate the player and like manipulate yeah. their feelings. And if they really did like hoodwink me into thinking that the the blob either made it out or died and put itself out of its misery and that like mm-hmm. the devs tricked me. I think that's that's really good actually. <laughs> um and I think it tricks a lot of people. Yeah. Because the clues are so subtle. I think you yeah. have to play it again to see. And I've I've got another point of support for this idea that we haven't even touched on, which is the secret ending. Yes. Yes, the secret ending. Which the secret ending involves you going through the entire game and activating these 13 little spheres... It's more like destroying them. They're yeah. like little power spheres. They so like pull a thing out and they fizz and smoke. Right. Yep. So you destroy these little things that who knows what they're doing. Um, yeah. And rather than keep going to get to the secret ending, you actually have to load a checkpoint that's near the very beginning of the game to get to a hidden underground bunker Mm -hmm. and in that bunker there is one of these mind control caps hooked up to a bunch of computers and if the boy pulls the plug that is powering that setup he slumps over and the game ends yeah which i feel like is so it's almost like the the final nail in the coffin as far as proving what I think the right reading of the ending of the game is is that if you want to not be complicit in this whole experience like you have to manipulate the whole thing and then outside of the game itself skip back to the beginning and pull the plug did you did you do that by the way have you have you actually gotten to to destroy all the all the capsules? I haven't done that. No, yet. I haven't yet. I saw that you could do it though. Mm-hmm. 
I, I, I haven't checked that out because for some reason I feel like I keep convincing myself that I'm going to do it myself. Mm. <laughs> so right before you find the blob is the room with like the weird grass and all the lights on the wall, right? Mm-hmm. After you, you do the small things, what do you do in that room? Like you do the small power cores and there's like a big looking power core in that room. Yeah. You, do you destroy that too? Yep, you shut that one down as well. And then from there you have to load like the fourth checkpoint in the game and go underground in this cornfield that you can't even see the door. Yeah. And then go to a little console and put in like a 12 sequence password to open a door to get to mm. this place where the computer is being uh, controlled by one of these mind control devices. So it's like very obtuse, the things you have to do to get to this point. Yeah. And they're so obtuse, like the actions required to get you there already kind of rip you out of the fiction of the game. Yeah. And then when you pull the plug, it's like, it's almost like the game is admitting to you like, okay, you got me. Like, I I can't tell you the story you want to hear here because you're trying to, to outwit the story. Yeah. You're like operating on a different level than it. Whereas if you are fine to operate at that lower level, not lower in a negative sense, but lower in, in terms of like a awareness sense yeah. of what the game is doing, like the game gets you. Mm-hmm. So the only way to beat it is to is to understand the part that you're playing in it and destroy all the little bits, take yourself out of it, go back to checkpoint four, and then beat like turn off the game before you actually get into the city. Like get into the big retaining wall. Yeah, which is kind of weird because it's like some people, I think, would say that means the only winning move is not to play. But you actually have to play the whole game to get to that point where you exactly, understand it. Exactly, yeah. Um, so I really think it's like, even if you look for a winning move within the game, mm-hmm. your options are still limited. Like, you still don't have a choice. Yeah. Because the alternate ending is still just one that the game gives you, like... And yeah. it's not a satisfying one at that. <laughs> <laughs> would you would you describe the vanilla ending as as you used a couple adjectives before? How did you describe it? You said like uneasy or something along those lines. Yeah, like I didn't trust it. It felt unfinished. Um, I was kind of like discontented with it. Like and you. And it wanted s- oh go ahead like i think the reason i felt that way is because at first i wanted to feel like it was one of those like ah yes this is the ending and it means something but i was like for some reason something didn't quite line up right and so i felt very like weirded out by that thought it's like wait well, i don't actually trust that thought <laughs> yeah because i think the way this game positions itself is like I think correctly as one of those experience driven games. And yeah. so it's kind of one that it puts itself into this category that people talk a little snobbishly about in terms of like, 
this game is art. Um, and I, I felt like after playing that, the, the just the vanilla ending wanted me to say like, oh yes, this is art. This is an art game. Like this was mm-hmm. such a deep and meaningful experience that this game must be art. Um, mm-hmm. But I was skeptical of that feeling, not because it's not amazing, but just because like it felt like the game knew knew better than that. Yeah, I think you're really gonna hate what I'm about to say. Uh huh. <laughs> but I think that if you thought it was art, mm-hmm. and then you like second guessed yourself, doesn't that just make it double art? Yeah, <laughs> like. Like the uh, there's a there's a big museum over by um, over by where I live uh, and there's there's a, a giant slag of metal on the floor is one of the right. art installations and at first you're like oh yeah you know it's it's like this thing about like the uh, about like everything fades or whatever like everything will eventually like turn to dust or like melt away mm-hmm. but then you start to think about it and you're like. Or was this person just pulling a prank on this multi-billion-dollar art installation with by giving it not art? But then right. you think about it again, and you're like, "But doesn't that just make it art?" <laughs> <laughs> and isn't that isn't that frustrating? <laughs> no, so in a way, I think in this case, like it does make it double art, but in a good way. In a way that makes the first art not art. If that makes sense. <laughs> okay? So hear me yeah. out on this. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's like, we're not going to do this navel-gazing shit anymore. <laughs> because we know that games are so deep and so art. We're going <laughs> to require that for you to appreciate this the way, like, in the fullest, that you need to actually step above it. You need to think about it on a higher level. You need to approach <laughs> it from a different angle. And not from this angle of, like... I've played the game and it got good reviews. Therefore I appreciated art. Yeah. But to be like, I played the game and I understood what was going on with it. So that mm-hmm. when it ended, I didn't trust the pseudo artistic bull <laughs> that it would have pandered to me if this was 2007 <laughs> and instead like figured out what it was actually trying to tell me which is that I am approaching this anticipating a fiction to satisfy me. That's what it tried to give me, but Mm -hmm. it actually has all of these other little hints along the way that it's doing that. Like, it's trying to trick me. Yeah. I think it's, I think it, it's totally satisfactory to me if that ends up being the answer. And you've you've said on other episodes of the podcast that you're not necessarily looking for like the intention of the creator, um, but maybe the most satisfactory interpretation for yourself personally is what is what this is, I guess. Um, Which is a Kafka trap, damn it! <laughs> because <laughs> that's exactly what this stupid game is trying to say. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think it I am totally okay with that being the ending here. Yeah. I I I will lower myself slightly and say that I am also totally fine if the game is just the first layer. Mhm. And if like the developers hear this 
Uh, maybe they don't speak English because they're Danish, but I don't know. And they they have somebody interpret it for them, and then they say right. in Danish like, "What a bunch of f-ing weirdos! We just wanted to make you feel weird at the end." Yeah. Even if that's the case, I'm still okay with it. I okay. think that feeling weird is good, but then mm. also like thinking about what the game is trying to say about you, the player, or, or where they want you to put where they want to put you as the player into the game. I think that's mm-hmm. also a very interesting layer and satisfies yeah. me. Yeah. If it was just the first layer, I would be a little disappointed. I think there's enough going on at the second layer though, that I'm pretty confident in saying that's what I think the intention is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's at least how I like to read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because, like you said, they had made Limbo before, which I don't think Limbo had any of that second level of intention involved. I think it was very much made still in the time where games were kind of exploring themselves artistically and trying to come up with new novel presentation formats to really, like, grab people. Yeah. Um, And it did that layer really well. And so that's why I feel, like, also that they wanted to do that layer great, but then also add this sort of meta textual yeah. interpretation on top. Is is it low-key frustrating to you as well that like somebody is that good at this, at developing games, that they were like, yeah, we can make a solid first layer of the game. The hard part is, is making them feel meta. <laughs> no, I think it's great. Like, yeah. I'm so happy that there are games that exist like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's low-key frustrating, I suppose I should explain, for me, because as somebody who who does have some interest in developing games, it's really hard to get there. Yeah. Like, for sure. the people who made this game probably don't even have to think too hard about, like... How do we get our Unity Git repo to work, guys? What's our Git ignore <laughs> supposed to look like? No, they right. they're so they're they're a lot farther along in their in their journey. They're a lot more experienced. Mm. I also think too, though, that adopting this sort of meta level uh, intention can clear a lot of the cruft out of that first layer that you think you need to make. Yeah, um, like. It's, it's almost kind of a brilliant move in a way, I think, mm-hmm. that for the players to ask all these questions like, well, how did the kid get into the forest? Why is the kid running this way? Like, why are these people kidnapping people and turning them into mindless gorbs? Yeah. Like, all of those questions don't have an answer. And the metatextual layer is just saying, like, you want there to be an answer because that's, like you want this to make sense that's your expectation exactly and it doesn't have to make sense we don't have to substantiate any of this yeah because it's you like you are trying to come inside of this world yeah like why are you sticking why are you sticking your nose in my world it's almost what they're saying but not like in a little bit yeah not that like aggressive obviously but like whenever whenever the player starts to like write their tweets to play dead that's like mm-hmm. almost what I imagine they would want to say back. Like, 
why are you presuming what my game should what the game should be not my game but what the game should be right or like why don't you realize that this is a fiction you're participating in yeah and therefore like the answers to these questions don't matter like it's a it's a beast that can't be satiated yeah yeah exactly Man. I don't know. It's a good game. I had a lot of feelings about this game. I'm glad you had feelings. Affirmative. Acceptable feelings. Relayed. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have a favorite section of the game? I talked about the shockwave section already. The shockwave section is brilliant. We hardly even talked about it because we were talking about all this meta bullshit. Yeah. So, for the... (laughs) (laughs) Um, for the listener, this is one of the big unexplained portions, I feel mm-hmm. like, where, like, the game is really trying to say, like, this world ain't gonna make any sense. <laughs> Don't try. <laughs> Don't f***ing try. Yeah. Um, somewhere between part of the water section and the, uh, office section, there's, like, this, like, Riley was saying earlier, this giant chasm where, like, there's this, this boom this shockwave that goes through it on a on a very predictable timer, like every seven seconds or something. And um, the whole gameplay is how do you get through this without getting, like, destroyed by the sound? So you have to do, like, all these really cool things to make sure you're covered up. One of the first things that you do to get, um, to get, uh, uh, What's the word? Um, exposed to this shockwave is you're in like this like test room thing with this random door that's just hanging from the ceiling. And you push a button and then the windows rise up and then the shockwaves start coming through and everything just starts getting blown apart. But you're behind this door. And then you're like mm-hmm. pushing the door along these rails. And then eventually the rail that it's on disappears because some part was destroyed. And if you don't realize it fast enough, then the shockwave kicks the door into you and you fly away and you die. <laughs> like, Which is so funny. <laughs> just the funny part of that was great. But then like thinking about like, how do I deal with this? You have to like make sure you're timed right so that we get across that section. And then eventually yeah. you lose the door and you're on like this exposed bridge and you have to like make your own cover. And then it culminates, I think, in the be- one of the best parts of of the game which is Mm -hmm. you have to have recognized at this point that it's a rhythm and that's consistent and you get to this part where you have to climb up this ladder and then Mm -hmm. like jump off this platform and run which is all far too long for you to survive the shockwave every seven seconds but but in order to solve it you time this like rotating wall drum thing using a, a switch to be at exactly the right time for when the shockwave hits, you are covered at like so that way you can keep going. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it stops at those points. It's it's moving the entire time. Yeah. And you just happen to coincide with where it is when the shockwave hits. Yeah. So you're like lining up these three things in time. Yeah. I felt like that was super dope and it even showcases the the best one of the best parts of the game which is the the uh sound design for making you feel the right things at the right mm-hmm. moment 
because that's whenever like it opens up with this like eerie chorus as as yeah. like the game is telling you you are not an idiot you have figured this out <laughs> yeah and it was like mega satisfying so great room great room yep yep um it also does such a good job of like in universe like you're saying being a bit of the eldritch gods like this doesn't make sense what is going on here does not make sense yeah yeah <laughs> this is the first thing that you really see it and like everything up until this point you're like okay mind control worms that's weird they're turning people into robots okay i get that and then you come to the shockwave room you're like what could this possibly be? <laughs> yeah yeah the only thing that i could like think of is that it's some kind of energy production zone but what who would make this room that expends this much energy just to like make the shockwave and then recapture i don't know i don't know. right or like the shockwave is being made by some other process but like what process gives off a shockwave <laughs> like, like that so like, rhythmically yeah what if it's a big blob just banging on the door let me in. <laughs> and it just reverberates. No, that's probably not it. Um, the thinking through, I think I'd kind of already said that the other part that I just really freaking enjoyed was like the release of getting to smash stuff as the blob. It was so mm -hmm. nice. It was so good. Because as the kid, uh, uh, in one of the sections, you highlighted like the whole thing where you have to pull off the planks while the dogs are getting after you and stuff. Yes. You're, not, you're not like mega strong, but then as uh -huh. the blob, you're like ripping stuff apart that you had to duck under before. And you're yeah. just like, you're smashing through walls. And yeah. potentially all of it is there to make you feel good. And then at the end, you think that you made it out. I, yep. I get it. Yeah. Regardless of whether that's what's going on, it felt really good. <laughs> yeah smashing everything i think that's the point and even and i caught myself thinking this too yeah even at the very end when they capture you down in that little underwater tube i thought i'm still the blob i can still get out yeah yeah like this can't hold the blob <laughs> and i broke out and i made it to the ending yeah and i was like wait but this can hold the blob because it's big. I don't like this. <laughs> the because yeah. the blob was happy. Like, or dead. but Or dead. I don't think it was dead because it was still writhing. But It might have stopped writhing. It didn't. Who... Not on my screen anyway. I don't know how long you waited. Did you kill it? I always killed it. But. And the one thing I thought might have happened. Mm -hmm. As the game in blob form progressed is you kind of like lose some bits of the blob yeah which is and it shrinks a little bit on the so way so gross yeah but i thought that it was going to be that like by the end of the game you would have lost basically the whole blob and you'd be back to just being the boy oh that's what i was looking for oh man that would have been kind of cool yeah it is hella more disturbing though that the boy was just swallowed up yep <laughs> completely a lot of standout moments in this game 
Yeah. And we haven't even talked about so many of the things that make it good. The fact that it's, it is paced super well. Yeah. For the most part. And the only thing that breaks out is you dying in a puzzle. But like you're saying, all of the yeah. puzzles, if you play them well, you feel like you're getting away just at the last second from so many things. Yeah. Um, the world design is super cool. The visuals are super cool. It's a really well put together game. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed this in the Reddit thread that I sent you, but um, somebody was asking where all the textures went. And mm-hmm. another thing to help describe this for the listeners about what the game is like that I didn't realize until the thread, apparently there's actually not hardly any textures at all. There's solid colors. Solid colors and gorgeous lighting yeah. makes it like a very unique aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a it's a game that's going to age well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in terms of of how it looks and feels. Yeah, I look forward to playing it again in another two years. After I've gotten <laughs> over the Water Girl, <laughs> did that freak Armon out too? He didn't get to it, so oh. I hope Armon, you've completed it by the time you've listened to this. Oh, and you man. don't know about the water girl yet. Uh, I bet that part's going to screw him up. <laughs> I'm. Uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun having him get screwed up. <laughs> Do you have any other um, final thoughts on the game? Final bits that you wanted to mention, call out about it? Um, I just want to know what your rating is for it. That's all I want to know. You turn, That's all any of the listeners want to know. You turn the question against me. Why do you rate this game, Daniel? On your scale? Well, let's not go that far. Prior to, this ep- to recording this episode, I was feeling really positive about it. It might be a seven. Just because the experience so unique, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's quite a well put together game. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to give out sevens though. Oh, I have cold feet on this. Ugh. If that's how you feel, man, you should stick to it. Let's give. You'd be in good company. A lot of people have given it their max scores. We don't know. They don't use the seven scale. No, I'm just saying out of the highest rating they could have given But how do we know that that maps over correctly? You're right, yeah. 100% at IGN is probably like a 3 out of 7 for us. <laughs> let's let's put a let's put a 7 out of 7 on it and then if I mm-hmm. if I sleep on it and I feel like it's flawed enough to be 6 out of 7, we'll come back to it. I'm going to stick with 7 out of 7. Okay. Really enjoyed it. Okay. Okay. How did how did you how did you land? I mean, you know me. I gotta give it a six out of seven. Cool. I think it was so good. It was great. The only thing that could have really made it a seven out of seven and would have totally enraptured me was if they'd figured out a better way to handle player death. Yeah. I think it's a big enough sticking point for me just because of how much it ripped me out of the experience and how mm-hmm. 
I think they could have handled it differently by either providing like a story reason why the boy comes back mm-hmm. or even like maybe crazier. You know how some games where you get captured by like a guard and they put you in a prison? Yeah. yeah. They could do something like that where it sends you onto a different track in the game. Oh man. It makes and that would be seven out of seven material for me. I I'm just like I'm getting nauseous thinking about what that world map would look like with all of those branches. Oh man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you could get pretty clever with it and like only have maybe three branches. Mm-hmm. And just death kind of ping-pongs you back and forth between them to different points so that your subjective experience is always like, "Oh, I died. I've been like set back." Yeah. But in reality, you're still just kind of progressing in in different ways. Mm-hmm. Well, if any of the Play Dead developers are listening, next project, think about it. Give me a call. <laughs> you want to get out? He'll learn Danish. <laughs> I'm sure they know English. Hey, let me have my joke. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make fun of them. <laughs> Everybody makes fun of the Danes. That's true. They deserve it. <laughs> well, hey, some high marks. Want to want to put inside to bed? Talk about let's, what's next for the podcast? Let's put it to bed. It was a good one. Good choice. Thank you for picking it. What do you think is next? So, because you got to just choose last episode, I think I get to just choose this episode since it's the next one is going to be the final episode of this group season collection whatever we decide to call the unit of episodes Mm -hmm. so with this being the final one and us being in the same place physically again here in the next couple weeks whenever we record Mm. I'm going to take advantage of both of those things and request that we play A Way Out together. A Way Out? Wait, 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 wait. This is the prison escape game where you're both playing on the same TV, but it's split screen. Uh And you're controlling two different prisoners in the same prison at the same time, Uh but in physically different places. What? Yeah. That sounds awesome. Okay, okay. Woo. So, okay, okay. So we're going to play together. Yep. Is the podcast going to be live? Uh, I don't think we should do it live because okay. I don't know. No, that's fine. I'm just I clarifying. Know. We can record it. We can record it live if we want, like. We can record us playing together. I don't think it would make much sense for people listening because we can't really like explain what we're seeing Yeah, that fast. Uh, you can't. But yes, we will be playing this together in person for the first time. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, everybody. Don't forget, if you like the show, please go on to the subreddit, drop us a comment, maybe give us a nice on one of our episodes we will read that comment out loud on the show on the next episode 
cool. Well, but bye.